Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Today's show is a little different than what you will typically experience. I'm eager to share how differing perspectives help us expand, learn, and grow. And to that end, I want to share my own life's journey with all of you. Like many of you, I imagine I have had multiple twists and turns in my life. While at the time, they didn't all make sense, and they were certainly not easy, often frustrating, I believe that each turn was important. Each pivot helped shape the next stage of my life experience and in combination has assisted me in in evolving into the person I am today. But rather than bore you all with a monologue for an hour, I have enlisted the help of my executive producer. So today, I will be in conversation with Jesse Jameson, executive producer for Voice America, who will lead me in conversation. So Jesse, thanks for helping me share my personal story with the listeners today. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for having me. I'm more than uh, happy and, and honored to be guest host. Uh, to, to be honest with you, a lot of uh, the folks around the network have been wondering a lot of information about you. So I think it's been a long time coming. I know you've wanted to do a little show where you can kind of give your personal perspective because you've been really excellent at sharing the perspectives of others. And you've really helped people dealing with a lot of things from the stigma of, of mental illness and just relationships in general uh, with people people to people and families. So I want to thank you for what you've done. Uh, but now that that intro is out of the way, let's get to the fun stuff. <laughs> oh, so with, thanks, your current, <laughs> with your current profession, you're obviously a doctor. You obviously talk and counsel a lot of people. What I'd like to know is how did you come uh, to this profession? Well, so this is a profession. I guess it's my second profession. Um, after I got married, the person I married has a very busy and involved life. And I have known all along growing up that um, when I got married, I wanted to be able to raise, to have children and to be able to raise them myself. I didn't want to enlist um, the help of family was okay, but I just didn't want to have nannies and babysitters unless I absolutely had to. So I left the world of Wall Street and international finance And I spent a year thinking about what could I do and how could I do it that it would allow me to sort of have my dream, which was to have a family and be there for them, but still be um, challenging myself at the same time. So I did a lot of informational interviewing and a lot of thinking, a lot of hiking in the mountains by myself. Um, And I thought, you know, Therapy, counseling, working with other people was something that I've always enjoyed doing on a volunteer basis, but maybe it would be something to turn into a profession. So that's the shorter version of how I ended up here. <laughs> so you've always been an ear for others to, to speak to and, and a shoulder for others to potentially cry on. It's something that uh, it's kind of in your blood. I take walks every day. It's a good way for me to kind of... Uh, relaxed. 
uh, and, and you had a mountain, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, when, we, when I ask you why did you choose uh, to go down the path you did, I assume there was a lot of times where you kind of asked yourself those same type of questions on that mountain. Can we talk about that real quick? Give me a sure, absolutely. So, um, what ended up happening was that after I got married to my husband, we had to move. We left New York City and we moved out to Colorado. And this was a time when cell phones were not really a thing, that only some people had them. And they were actually car phones, not cell phones. And, I remember that, yes. yes. Um, so, that and Email wasn't that much of a thing, and it was the days when you had to wait till after 7 p.m. to get a cheaper rate to phone people. And so it was really lonely because my husband was working long hours to finish his training, and we were in a place where we didn't know anyone. And, and Colorado must feel like Mars compared to New York City, I'd imagine. Well, at the time it did. I have, we both grew to love it, and it, it's a place we return to often. But in that year, and especially the first six months of that year, it was very isolating. So it gave me a lot of time to have those conversations with myself and be my own ear. Um, and I started to really look and think about what was important to me and what I needed in my life and who I needed in my life and what I wanted to be like. Um, so I started to just first have those conversations with myself and then I started to volunteer at different places and then I started to do informational interviewing um, and I actually started interviewing with schools in the area at trying to ask people, you know, what what it would take to have a job there and what kinds of opportunities there were. And basically, pretty much everyone said to me, um, your, your resume is all science and finance. And, what, are you, what are you doing here at the school? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so it's all great that you have these volunteer um, experiences or you have, you know, I'm the kind of person that anywhere I go, my husband always would joke that somebody would just stop and unload their entire life on me when I was minding my own business in an airport. Is, a there a, is, there, is there a sign there? <laughs> you believe in fate? Yeah, maybe. So, um, and so basically, you know, I was told um, you need to go back to school if you want to shift gears. And that was really the last thing I wanted to hear because I, know. I had... <laughs> that was, that, was that scary or was it just the last thing you wanted to hear because you had already gone through the school process? Well, I, a little bit of both. It was scary because I thought, I don't know if I can do this again. And it, I had also been through business school just a few years before and that was very rigorous. Um, and it, you know, I got used to living and working. Um, and so the thought of going back to being a student was just, it was, it was scary. Um, and then also, do I remember how to study? <laughs> those thoughts also yeah. came to mind. <laughs> I've had those thoughts about going back to school to get computer skills and this and that through the years. And the one thing that's always held me back is that fear. I, I feel so sad for admitting that, but I think a lot of us can admit that. Otherwise, a lot of us would have went back to school. Here's an interesting thing. When you came on uh, and originally first started telling me uh, about your situation and your experiences, you were uh, a Wall Street uh, into science and into money making and marketing. 
Um, and I mean money making in a positive way, not in any negative way. <laughs> but as a child, were you thinking, I want to be that wolf on Wall Street someday? Or were you thinking, I want to be a doctor? In other words, uh, as a child, you know, what did you kind of picture and imagine yourself growing up to be? So as a child, I actually thought I was going to be a medical doctor. And I had my mother was a physician and I have physicians in my family. Um, and it was just sort of growing up in this Indian household. It just seemed like science was the thing we would do. Um, and so and I was pretty good at science in school, in science and math. And then in college, I just went on and continued in that in that vein of pre-med um, until my junior year when I realized that, oh my gosh, if I become a medical doctor, I'll have all these years of training I'll have to go through. And I really wanted a family. I still really wanted a family. And that, that was also a theme that ran through my life from as long as I can remember. Um, and I was looking at the role models in my family where we have physicians, men and women, and I realized I didn't think I could do both. And I chose family over medicine in college. And then I had a year to figure out what to do. <laughs> Here's the thing. I have a question for you. I watch okay. a lot of shows about people from other parts of the world. You said that you grew up in an Indian family. Yes. You, you carry the Patel name. I assume there's a lot of uh, your relatives that you said were doctors, dentists, you know, using an extensive background. All of a sudden, you're this close to going into med school and you're deciding, hey, I'm going to take a time out for family. Was there a lot of internal pressures, not only from yourself, but from maybe mom and dad and sister and brother? Well, so at the time, it was uh, my mom actually passed away when I was 14. So no pressure from her, but my father was a single parent um, and definitely a strong influence in my life. And the pressure, I think, was mine only but I believed it was pressure from him. And I, ha I have an older brother, and that wasn't, there wasn't so much pressure from my brother. He, my brother was never that kind of a person. Um, but there was a sense of, I don't want to disappoint everybody by, having, by walking away from this, this path in life that's supposed to be so wonderful. Um, and so I did feel a lot of pressure. I agonized over it for a long time. I still remember the conversation I had with one of my really good friends in college at lunchtime when I broke the news to her because I thought I'd test it out on her first. Um, and surprisingly, when I told my father that I didn't really want to go to medical school anymore and I you know, I, that just was not the road for me. He was actually very supportive. So a huge lesson there. Um, that's beautiful because I'd imagine there'd be some Indian families where that doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, so I think that's great. Um, whatchamacallit, um, I listened to your Motherless Mothers show. Yes, yes. And I noticed that you had said you lost your mom at 14 when you were going through these things in your third, going on your fourth year of college, so I'm imagining you're about 21, 22, were you trying to kind of put yourself in a spot where you could maybe meditate and kind of try to figure out what Mrs. Patel, your mother, uh, would have maybe suggested you do? Or 
what, what were your thoughts with regards to your mom, even though maybe she wasn't there? I'd imagine she was still in your thoughts a lot during that time. Um, she was in my thoughts. And just a clarification, I married into the Patel family. So she was not a Mrs. Patel. That's totally fine. I, I, but I, I'm for, just clarifying. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking. I, you're right. <laughs> um, but, but you know what? At, at the age of 20, 21, when I was making this decision, I didn't really know much about meditating. And I was so caught up in academics and trying to do well in school and keep up with everything I was doing and feeling overwhelmed that there was no space left in my brain to make this decision in a, um, in a thoughtful way. So in some ways, I feel like I, it wasn't a snap decision, but it was, um, it was not done in the same way that, I've, that I made the decision to, to leave the financial world and then go into um, psychology. But I did think about my mom and actually I thought about, you know, would she be disappointed in me because she was the doctor in the family. And I think there was, uh, I put pressure on myself trying to live up to what I imagined would be something that she wanted me to do. And as I look back on it now, I realized that both my parents, um, would want me to do what I want to do. And my father has always said that he just wants me to do what makes me happy. So that is truly wonderful. You have kids. Do you kind of feel the same way? Are there, are there, are there futures completely up to them or do you kind of push them in one way or another? Um, I work really hard not to push my kids in any direction. I spend a lot of energy trying to instill in them this, desire to search for what they want to do and to try different things. So I don't have an expectation because my life has taken so many twists and turns. I, have, I don't have any expectations from them that what they're doing now is what they will do forever. If, if it is that, that's great. But if they change their minds, I would support them the whole way. I just feel like you know, life needs to be explored and we don't even know the half of what we have out there unless we, we try different things and we expose ourselves to different situations. I agree. We've got about three minutes here before break. I was just kind of wondering in college, you did say that you wanted to start a family. Now, normally we don't think about starting a family until we have somebody that's kind of special in our life. Were you getting to that point where you did have somebody kind of special in your life at that time that was also part of the decision? Um, no, I met my husband much later on. Um, and so that actually, when I was little, I was a daydreamer. And I used to dream about all sorts of things. And one consistent dream I had was that I would be married and I would have a family and I would have two children and I would have a boy and a girl. And I actually have both. <laughs> so. That's cool. I, I, I actually have a son and a daughter too. Uh, my daughter graduated from ASU. My son is a freshman at the U of A. I love the Sun Devils. Can't stand the Wildcats, but <laughs> I love my son, so I want him to do well. And he wants to be a doctor. So I appreciate anybody that goes through that process. You knew that you were about to go to med school, which was gonna add even more pressures and stresses. So you kind of made a decision before you even got to that, that hey, uh, let's go ahead and, and, and you know, really figure out that we wanna do a family. 
Um, we're going to be going to break now. And when we get uh, back, we're going to be talking uh, with Vidisha more about what she's doing currently. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your guest host, Jesse Jameson, and today's special guest is none other than Dr. Vadisha Patel. Dr. Patel, before we went to break, we were kind of in that junior to senior role in college where you were having tons of monumental decisions that you had to make, and you had kind of mentioned that you had had a dream about having a son and a daughter and a stream in your backyard. Can you continue with that? Because I thought that was really interesting so yeah so from the I think I was as young as six years old I remember just being in my room daydreaming and I did that a lot Um, and I would just have these images of being married having a family imagining what family life would look like and knowing I would have a son and I would have a daughter and imagining this house where there was water um, in the backyard. And I, I am sure I was influenced by books I read and my family around me because I come from a very close family, a very close extended family. Um, and sure enough, now, looking back on my life, I am married with a son and a daughter. And I actually do have a body of water flowing 
in my backyard. Um, Very cool. And it's, uh, it's remarkable, but I also, and so I, I didn't know it then, but I know it now that when we dream things and we dream them with intention, we can really make them happen. Um, don't know how, don't know when or how long it's going to take, but you really can make your dreams come true. Yeah, I, I listen to your show and I love, you know, I go on YouTube like a lot of people nowadays and I veg out on videos about positive affirmations and how you can really kind of, you know, uh, tell yourself things in a way and make goals and set yourself up in a way where you can hit those dreams. So I totally agree with you. Speaking of dreams, you know, obviously as a child, you dreamt that you were a doctor. Is it important uh, to kind of know what you want to do as a kid? Is that one of those things? Or can we kind of veg out till we're seniors in college and living on the couch back at home? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think growing up in my family, I don't think there was a choice of um, just letting it go till you're older. I, people would constantly ask, obviously, in some joking manner when you're little, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or do you want to grow up to be a doctor like your mother or an engineer like your father or um, stereotypically Indians tend to do stuff like that. And they say that I'm sure other, other cultures do the same, but so no, there was always some discussion of where your life would lead based on things that you were interested in. Um, but my life was really skewed because, as I said, my mother passed away when I was 14, but she got sick when I was 12 and my brother was would have been 15. And so our lives were, um, in a sense, our lives, the kids' lives were put on hold. We carried on doing what we were supposed to do, which was we were supposed to be studying and going to school, but the the household was really an upheaval. We had a lot of family coming to stay and people coming to visit. And um, so it wasn't sort of your average childhood. Um, and so I don't, there's actually a period of time where I, I don't even, I felt like we just lived as um, going through the motions. Uh, right. Exactly. Um, you know, you said your mom was a doctor and your dad was an engineer. So you kind of knew that you were going to go down one path or another or a similar path. Uh, my mom and dad were divorced and I've, I've only seen my father for about an hour or two my whole life. And I know, I know that sounds wow. sad, but my mom always said, you better not grow up to be like your father. <laughs> so <laughs> different cultures, right? We were a little bit different. That's um, right. But some of the challenges that I faced as a single fatherless child were interesting because, you know, when I was younger, where divorce is kind of common now, Dr. Patel, uh -huh. back when I was younger, I, I didn't feel like it was so common. And a lot of times I was the only kid in class that didn't have a dad. So I had some extreme pressures and I wanted to kind of ask you, we, we know that just not having a mom, but she, she was always a part of your life and still is even now, even though she's not physically here on the earth. What were some of the other challenges that you, that you faced along your path along the way? Um, so a lot of the challenges came about because I really didn't have a perspective, <laughs> interestingly. Um, most, most young girls, most teenagers have um, a mother that they can argue with, that they can bounce ideas off of or um, 
agree with or disagree with about what to do or where to go or have a, a built-in companion to do certain things with. And I was very fortunate to have lots of women in my life who were willing to take that role, but I was not willing to have them take that role because I just really wanted my mother to be that in that role. So I'm a very stubborn person in that way. And so that created lots of challenges because I was, I left myself to figure things out on my own. And I have often tried to figure things out on my own. Um, and it just, so it makes it harder. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we need help. And sometimes when we're that lone wolf mentality, like it sounds like you had, sometimes it's tough to ask for directions in the, in the world of life, so to speak. Um, what were some of the strengths, though, that you gained through these pressures uh, with regards to your journey? Well, I came to know myself pretty well. I learned that if I couldn't do something initially, that I could figure out how to do it. Um, and I also, I did slowly learn how to lean on other people and to know when to ask for help. Um, early on it would have, it would be too late when i would ask for help but as time has gone on i've learned how to reach out ahead of time um i learned to rely on my instincts um especially about people because there's just some there's some situations and some people where you know you can trust that person and i found over the years that my instincts are very good and um, I know when I can trust somebody and I know when I should be careful. And I've learned over time to listen to those instincts. This, your gut is never wrong if you really, really <laughs> think about it. Here's an interesting parallel, though, or maybe crossroads. You obviously deal with kids a lot. What yes. do you have when they're dealing with some trust issues with you? Because I'd imagine, you know, your experience dealing with, you know, trustometers on people, you probably have people kind of having those same trust issues with you. What, give me some of those situations that you kind of deal with. So basically when I start working, especially with children, but with anybody really, I take, I take my time. Um, I don't try to impose myself on anyone. And I really look at building a relationship. And that's why in the intro to some of my shows, I will often say that my work is relationship-based because I find that building that trust takes time. You have to find a connecting point, whether it's with a child, whether it's through artwork or through a game or a joke. Um, I try to find out where they are what they're interested in, and I use that as the basis um, for starting to build the trust with them. Um, it doesn't work with everybody. So I've had situations where I have uh, clients where we were not able to forge that relationship, and I can usually tell within probably two sessions with somebody, and I will tell them right away that this won't work, and it's either because they, they have a problem with me or I have a problem with them because it goes both ways. So I'd imagine when you're younger, it's harder to handle those because you want to be that one that can break through for everybody. But sometimes we have to be realistic, right? And just say, hey, I'm not the perfect professional for this individual. You, uh, you brought up games earlier. Do they ever get you playing Candy Crush with them? 
No, but I can tell you I've worked with a lot of teens and that was an educational experience for me. Um, when it came to social media, they, they taught me a lot. <laughs> hey, a lot of these uh, teens that you've helped over the years are, you know, kind of becoming millennials now or in that millennial group. Do you kind of see them a lot different than maybe people, you know, in our age group? Because, you know, I look at millennials and think they're, they're really out there, you know, <laughs> uh, with their ideologies and thoughts and, and, pop, and things that are popular uh, to them. But you've dealt with a lot that uh, have some some serious issues, um, and I'd imagine you've seen them kind of come a long way. Uh, you've got a lot of people that have kind of started to become young adults, right? Uh, I'd imagine that's real rewarding. It is. So most of the teens I've worked with is through a local teen parent program that we have in Sarasota County, where the teen parents can come to high school and their babies can come as well and the and the babies or children are in an accredited childcare daycare preschool program with um, highly trained caregivers and so what happens there is the teens are able to go back to school and finish their high school degree which means they can actually go out and get a job and start to support themselves and at the same time people like me come into the school system and we would work with them so that we can teach them how to be good parents and how to read the cues of their children and how to have good relationships with them so that hopefully those children won't grow up to be teen parents themselves. Um, and it just, it's so gratifying to do that work. And there are a number of those teen parents that I've worked with that I hear about from time to time and there's some that I'm still in touch with and it's incredibly gratifying to see. That how must be really cool. You're getting to the point where I assume you still have a professional relationship in some way, shape or form, but you can actually call them friends, which uh, is probably the neatest thing. Yes. And their children, their babies are in school, which is really exciting to see because it's um, typically when you have Younger parents and a lot of these parents have suffered from trauma in their home um, or outside. And so then often the, their babies will have behavioral issues and it can lead to further violence. And so to see someone I saw as an infant be in the school system and succeeding and thriving is just incredibly gratifying. So you help mothers that are our babies or young ladies that are basically new mothers that are still in the school process. You also help uh, uh, children, I assume, that are dealing with mental illnesses, right? Yes. What are some other things that you can help so that a parent that might be listening can know, hey, maybe I should give Dr. Patel or, or um, you know, contact you via your website that you might be able to help them with certain issues. Give us maybe a, a couple things that you do kind of uh, excel in, if you would. So so I've also had a lot of experience with um, another group of individuals, which are the, the gifted individuals. So these are young people and young adults um, who typically have, they're classified as gifted typically through an IQ measure. Um, but being gifted comes with a whole host of other challenges, um, a lot of social and emotional challenges. And parents of those children and young adults are not always 
sort of savvy with how to manage that. And you find a lot of these gifted population has, um, they have depression and they have anxieties. Um, there's a lot of perfectionism. And so I work with a lot of that population as well. Um, and that works both with individual counseling, but it also works with groups for the parents because I find, I often find when I work with children that yes, the children might be struggling with certain challenges, but it's really often about educating the parents because the parents don't understand um, what needs to happen or they don't understand why their children are behaving in a certain way. So I find that by having a group for parents or by working with the parents, I can help them better understand. And then that helps their children um, overcome their own challenges. You really love kids, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you ever have that wish like I do, where you could just have maybe one day and just be a kid again? Just, uh, I, I, I miss the classroom. You know, I've had jobs over the past uh, couple of years where they put you in a training session. Uh-huh. And everyone else is like, I can't wait to get out of this training session and get going. And I'm like, I love this school atmosphere, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I, 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 I too love kids. I see, um, I see videos on YouTube and occasionally you see kids fighting and it just breaks my heart because there's all these kids around and sometimes even adults that are just staring at this evil happening. Right. And I, I just wish that they would, would take a stand and stop that. Um, what are your What are your takes on the bullying that happens nowadays? Do a lot of these special kids get kind of bullied on top of everything kids Kids get bullied all the time, um, whether it's because they have quirks because of their giftedness, because there are um, gender identity issues, um, whether they're socioeconomic issues i mean it, it it seems like there's actually a lot of anger in the community and in life in general. And kids are not immune from it. I think they absorb it from their families and from television and um, from conversations that they overhear. And so um, I find that it's, it, it, it's sort of rampant. <laughs> you did a show on social media and gosh, social media can be really killer for the kids as well as adults. Um, we're going to be going to break here. And when we do uh, come back from break, Dr. Patel, I'd like you to give us uh, some advice that maybe the students can have with regards to their future and always uh, your great advice that you have for parents. So uh, everybody that's listening, thank you for being with us. And we can't wait to uh, talk to Dr. Patel again on the uh, last segment here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. 
Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. And welcome back to our final segment of uh, Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Dr. Patel, before we went to break, we were kind of talking about social media and how bullying can extend there, how bullying is never good. We don't like seeing bystanders just walking. And then you were kind of mentioning some stuff to me during the break um, about how you were kind of viewed as different because of your Indian background. So take us back to the bullying issue because there were a couple key points that you wanted to make. Well, so the thing about bullying is there's the, the person who is the bully, there's the person who's being bullied, and there's the bystander. And there's lots of research out there that actually all three of those roles are, have, are equally important. Um, and often, especially with kids, but I've seen it with adults as well, where there is bullying and somebody is witness to it, but they don't do anything about it. And that is actually as bad as being the bully, um, because a bystander has the capability of stopping it. Now, if it's a dangerous situation, obviously you don't want to get in the middle of it, but you can always go and get help. You can tell somebody um, and they can come and help. You know, um, I was just going to mention a point that a lot of times, at least when it comes to the schoolyard, maybe not necessarily behind, you know, a business, you know, when it happens, you know, in adult life, uh, like with regards to muggings and stuff. But when it happens in the schoolyard, a lot of times the people that are watching are egging on the violence, right? Right. And that's, and that's really the worst of it. So that's where those, the bystanders really are additional bullies. And it's, it's just damaging. It's damaging to a child's self-esteem. And I often tell my clients that it, you can erode somebody's self-esteem in an instant, but to build it back, it, it can take years and a lot of work. And so I think it's a responsibility for all of us uh, when we see behavior that's just not acceptable, that's not kind, we really need to step in there, whether it's through modeling, whether it's through getting help or stepping in and trying to stop it ourselves. 
So um, you were bullied for being different as a young girl. Do you uh, do you still have any of those sad or tough or scary moments that that you relive, or have you put it behind you? Well, I'm not sure that I would say that I was bullied. I just think people thought I was different. And and interestingly, it wasn't when I was really little, which is when I would have expected it, because when we moved to the U.S., I didn't speak English. And I went to school, and I learned English in school. So actually, the kids were the ones who taught me how to speak English. And so I didn't really feel feel it as much then. I, I found it much more noticeable, believe it or not, when I went to college, because I went to college at a place that was um, where I actually noticed that I looked different than the other people around me. And others noticed that too. And there were people who made comments. And I remember thinking how odd it was that they thought I was different because I didn't feel as if I was different. Um, so I experienced that actually later on in life. And then when I moved, I lived in various places in the U.S. and I've lived overseas. And I've noticed that I actually moved back to India as an adult. And I was telling the story recently to somebody that even though I moved back to the city where I was born and I speak the language and I wear the clothes and I follow the religion, um, many people were not accepting of me and they, they told me I was different. And I said, well, what makes me different? And they, they said, you walk like, an, and you carry yourself like an American. Interesting. I found that really interesting. So it's not just the way you look. It could be the way you carry yourself. It could be the words you use. Um, and so it's every time it happens, I'm always taken aback. And then um, I can typically let it go. But it's not as easy for everybody necessarily to let it go. So let's say a person is of mixed race where their mom is one race and their dad is another. And they give you a scenario where they say, Dr. Patel, I feel like I don't necessarily get along with either race or I, I get pressures from both sides to conform to a certain thing that isn't necessarily me. You're actually a, uh, in a situation where you've kind of experienced that. And what's scary is you didn't even experience it when you're little, when the kids are supposed to give you grief about being different. You, you experienced when you're with young adults that should kind of know better than, than to treat you different. Well, honestly, I think I give the credit for that to my parents, because I remember when we moved to the U.S., uh, my parents were very clear that we needed to assimilate, that we needed to, that it was a gift we were given, that we had come to this country, and that we would go back to India all the time. So it wasn't as if we had to leave it behind. Um, so that was the ultimate gift. So we had the gift of two cultures and they felt it was important that we take all of it and pull the, the best of everything and sort of create who we are. So they really um, supported the individuality and knowing who we were and appreciating the different aspects of ourselves and accepting ourselves for that. Uh, and I think that played a key role. You, must have, you must have loved your first 4th of July when the, when the <laughs> rockets go up, right? That must have been really, really 
I still love the 4th of July. Fireworks are awesome. (laughs) It it must just be neat that you have an experience that even I don't, which is you know what it's like to be a brand new American. And then you know what it's also like to be a brand new Indian because you went back to India and then it, it just wasn't the same. You know, they say you can never go home, right? Or never go back. Maybe maybe that was that type of experience. But you wouldn't have traded it for anything, I'd imagine. It was a, a good growing experience for you. It, it was actually. And that was actually another one of those pivots in my journey to where I am today. Um, having moved to the U.S. as a young child and going back to India on holidays, we would go for three months for the whole summer vacation and um, any other time we could go, we would go as well. I realized that I didn't really know what it was like to live and work in India as an adult, and I was determined to go and do that. And so against most everyone's wishes, I moved back to India, and I worked there um, for a little over a year. And it was, it was a growing experience for me, because you, you literally, I had a vision in my head of how wonderful it was to go and visit. And then when I had to live there and buy the groceries and drive myself places and um, find my way, um, it was hard. And, and I did, I stuck with it because I'm stubborn and I was determined and I grew to really love it. And it was a huge growing experience for me. I learned more about myself and I was able to sort of add a whole nother dimension of understanding of, of who I was and what I wanted out of life. And that was before I met my husband and got married and switched careers. So this was still when I was in the financial world. Where did you meet your husband there or here? I actually met my husband in the US um, okay. when I came back from India Soon after I came back from India and I was in business school and that's where I met my husband. Very cool. I got to ask this. Whenever I see pictures of India, they always show people in very small cars and little Vespa scooters. Dr. Patel, have you ever ridden on a scooter? I have indeed. I have That's indeed. really cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Did you own one? No, I didn't. I okay. owned a small car um, and I rode on a scooter, not not willingly, but I, I had no choice. <laughs> so it was, it you was to do what you gotta do. Right. Hey, can I bring up something we were talking about earlier here? Cause I think it's important since it's our last segment. Sure. Um, you know, students uh, these days, uh, they're, they're under tremendous pressures uh, to know exactly what it is they want to do. Dr. Patel, what's your heartfelt advice uh, to give to these young people? Well, What I tell students is instead of looking at trying to figure out what you want to do, try and look for what you enjoy doing, what makes you smile when you do it. It's not necessarily something that's easy for you, but it's something that you have a true interest in. And I try and use my story of all the different twists and turns that my life has taken as an example of how it's okay to not know and it's okay to take your time. And there's really no uh, such thing as a mistake. It, it, may not, it may not be the best choice, but it's always an okay choice and you can always switch gears if you need to. So that's excellent advice uh, for, for the students 
out there, what advice would you give to those parents that are trying to support those students? Well, for parents, it's really important for parents to listen. I think parents forget to listen. We often react to what our kids say and do, and we're quick to try and find a solution to something that our child is bringing up. And it may not even be a problem they're bringing up. And if it is a problem, they may not want a solution. And so for parents, it's really about taking a step back and having faith that their kids will be fine in the end and that each person's road is different. Um, That's not to say that you just let your child go and do whatever it is they want to do. There are certain things you have to have boundaries, you have to have limits on um, for situations that are important to you. So as parents, don't, don't be your child's buddy. Sometimes you have to be their mom or their dad. Is, Is that kind of, well, I personally feel that you always need to be your child's mother or father. It's not until they're much older that, it's, I personally think that it's okay to then be their friend because I think children really need parents. They need structure. Yeah. They need limits. They need somebody who understands. And that's, that's our job. That's what we're, we're here to do. So um, parents, have a, parents have a tough job because you, you don't know. You don't, when, when you have children, you don't, they don't come with Um, a a book of directions and you know we often look to our parents and how we were parented to decide how we're going to parent our children and then we pick things we like and we do them and then we pick things that we didn't like and we say we'll never do those things it's sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't so it's really it's a trial and error so you also have to be very forgiving with your children but also with yourself because because we don't know we're doing it for the first time so you got to have some patience there too you know uh, when when five people listen to a story they get five different stories from it depending on their point of view or their perspective what if you could ideally get into every listener's mind what would you really want them to kind of take away from what we've discussed today well that there's no right answer and there's no wrong choice and it's important to be open-minded and non-judgmental and and also forgiving (laughs) at the same time it's um life is you can have your dreams in life and you can know what you think you want and you may want it for that moment for that year or for those five years and then you may change your mind and that's actually quite all right it doesn't it, it doesn't matter um, and it's important to recognize when something's not working for you and to have the inner strength to pick up and make a change and so you know be bold because um, it's not always easy to make that change uh, it's, yeah. it's very hard to make the change and I think so often people end up in my office because they're afraid to make the change and, um, you know, people will often say, well, at least I know what to expect with what's going on now or the job I have or the person I'm with. Um, but 
actually, if you can find the strength inside you to um, to make a change or to try something different, and it doesn't have to be a huge change, it can be small changes, um, but it's really about looking at the world with um, with sort of bigger eyes and and just and being adventurous and enjoying it, you know, laugh and play and try and enjoy every moment because you just don't you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring literally um and so yeah that's how i would look at it um jesse it's been awesome having you interview me and i really appreciate your doing this for me so that i could share my story without completely boring everyone with a monologue pleasure is Um, all mine (laughs) (laughs) so it's a personal approach and one that I hope will inspire my listeners to look inward and recognize how their life experiences have shaped them. So this is Dr. Vidisha Patel. I'm your host for Perspectives, and I look forward to being back with you next week and hopefully another time with Jesse if he's willing to come and chat with me again. I accept. (laughs) (laughs) So, So... Feel free to email me with any questions or comments at drvforkids at yahoo.com and have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.